Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McGlory Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. My name is Carol Ann Fernandez, and I'm the COO of Glen Eagle. We're very excited to have our guest today, Nicole Shaw Provillion, founder of Curly Kurtosh, a boutique bakery specializing in Hungarian Kurtosh chimney cake. Nicole always wanted to start her own business, but wanted to create something that would never become boring. It was when she moved with her family to Budapest that she discovered her passion and purpose. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Before we started this, I was asking you the correct pronunciation of both your name and your business. But with that, why don't you just share a little bit of of your background and what motivated you even to start your own business? Well, my background is actually business. I have never been a professional baker. I'm not a pastry chef. I started in accounting. So I worked in internal audit, external audit. I was a financial analyst. Then I decided to go back to business school just because with all the year-end and the quarterly reporting and the monotonous nature of the job, I wanted to do something different. So I went into marketing after business school, and then I I actually launched Lysol Hand Sanitizer. I worked on air with air fresheners, and then as well finished dishwashing detergents. And then I ultimately ended up moving to Hungary for my husband's job. And so we took our family, our two kids, and I didn't have the paperwork there. And I've always actually wanted to start a business, but I could never find anything that I was like, what will I still be excited about two years in, three years in, four years in, 10 years in? And then I came across this really popular street food in Hungary, essentially fell in love. A, it, I can't eat a lot of sweets in the United States because they tend to be overly processed, highly sweetened. I could eat these without any issue. And the product itself is super fun. It's made in front of you. It's rolled on a a spit, and they're called kürtoskalach is the correct word, wow. but I shortened it for my business, and we just call it kürtosh. And so curly kürtosh is really kind of an homage to the actual authenticity of the product. And then you see the culture there. Everyone gets excited when they see it. It's usually at fairs, festivals, outside, and it just creates this great vibe. And I knew that when I left Hungary, I couldn't find them in the United States. And so that's what really got me motivated to say, hey, wait a minute. I love this. I love the vibe. I love the product. It will remind me of this fantastic experience I had. And I said, let's bring it back to the United States. Wow, that's awesome. And a very, very interesting story of how you even got started. So what exactly is chimney cake, I guess? And how did you learn to make it? You know, because obviously you you tasted it, you liked it, but how did you learn and become an expert in making it? Chimney cake, which is also, that's the American version, the name, which is also Kurtosh for short. And it's, again, Kurtosh Kalach for long. It's a very popular street food in Central Europe. It originated in Hungary. That can be debatable. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'll say we were invited to bake them for the Hungarian embassy in D.C. for one of the big embassy days showcasing the, their culture and their food. At least Hungary is very known for them. But if you go there, you'll see them just when you're going to different events or even walking on the streets. 
you'll see them being made right in front of you. So it's a sweet pastry, and it's rolled around what looks like a rolling pin, and it has this, it's baked traditionally over charcoal, and it has a crispy outside, and it has a soft and fluffy inside. So it's a yeast-based dough. You can put a variety of toppings on it. So it's something that's so versatile and super, super fun. And so I learned just by asking my Hungarian teacher to find someone to teach me how to make it on the street over charcoal. A lot of people don't know how to make it. I mean, that's just the reality in Hungary. In, well, when I was in Budapest, I couldn't find Hungarian friends to teach me. So we yeah. found a street vendor who didn't speak any English. And she actually set me up with them. And from there, I just started going back to them, learning how to make it on the street. We were preparing the dough there. We were rolling it out, baking it. And then I actually connected with someone who received the Mastercraft Award for making one of the best in the country. Wow. I know, super, super cool. So then I ended up learning from her. And then after that, I just continue to practice because at that point it's just about practicing the skills that you've been taught and I would just get into my basement and continue to make them and I've made over like at that point when I was ready to start you know selling them and come back to the United States I've made over like 10,000 at that point it's a handcraft pastry you don't you can't put it into a machine and kind of bake a billion of them at a time it's really made one by one now that you have this business art do you have other employees who are making this or is it just you still no yeah so you know, at some point, <laughs> you can't just be the only one making it. So yeah. <laughs> I, I do have a team because, you know, when okay. I came back, I started off with just catering. So we just did pop-up events and went to fairs and festivals to see if there was an interest because it is a very labor-intensive process. And in America, we like food to be fast and cheap, and it goes completely against that. So I did that for a few years to really see if there was interest. And we ended up partnering with like Bloomingdale's, Williams Sonoma, Bed Bath & Beyond, the Nutella Cafe out of New York City, because that's one of the products that we use. And we would make them in these locations and people would see us and then they would hire us for events. So we've even worked with Citigroup Global Headquarters, Unilever. So it's been a Super, super exciting experience getting people to learn about this popular street food. And when we do our catering, we actually call it dessertainment because it's half dessert, it's half entertainment because most of the people are completely like blown that they've never seen this before in their life. And then they taste it and they're like, this is amazing. <laughs> I think that's such a cool story of how you learned it, especially with someone who didn't speak any English, just trying to do it off watching them and practicing a hundred times. That's so interesting. I think it's a, a great story. What are the future plans of the company? Are you guys looking to expand into anything else or, you know, is this an area that seems amazing? It sounds like you do catering kind of, what are, what are the plans? So after doing all these different pop-up events, people would say, and the real big idea was people would see you and then they would hire us because no one's going to hire you just off of describing what you do. But then people would say that they would see me in Bloomingdale and they'd say, this is so cool. I don't want to party. I just want a kurtush or I just want a chimney cake, right? <laughs> so then I began to realize, okay, this is something that we can build into a location. So I tested out that concept first with a cafe in Hackensack. We appeared on Channel 7 News, and people were coming. So I said, okay, this is something we can build out onto a night, an actual shop. But then COVID hit, and just in this past September, we opened up a experiential boutique bakery. 
And so you're able to come and you're able to actually see us and we talk about not just the process, but also the ingredients that we use. We use the purest ingredients in the world. So our flour is actually sourced from Europe. We use a French style butter. Our cinnamon is sourced from Sri Lanka. Our Nutella is imported from Italy. We work with a prominent spice purveyor out of New York City who services the top chefs in Manhattan, as well as international gourmet importers. So you're really not just coming for a product, you're really coming for this cross-cultural experience. And now that we have the shop, we're able, I got a shop a little bit larger than anticipated, but the plan is really to create this into a community hub where we can have workshops. Our coffee is coming from a local coffee roaster located in Wayne, New Jersey. And so there's so much to learn about the quality of the coffee. It's coming from Brazil, so it's super high quality. Our tea is coming from someone who's a certified master gardener by Rutgers University and grows her own herbs. We also are going to offer premium sparkling lemonades, and so it's going to be fresh lemon juice with syrups that come from a farm. So everything is learning about the food, learning about this culture, and developing this empathy amongst people who come there because everyone loves to chat. The Americans talk to the Hungarians about this great food. The Hungarians are proud to share about this childhood food that they grew up with. And I think most businessmen and women, I guess as well, are sometimes taken back of my idea because I don't want to have a million locations. I really just want one location that's operating at high efficiency where people can come and be accepted and have a good time it's really about building happiness. That's my deeper mission. And Critters happens to be the product that I sell to develop and create that. That sounds amazing, especially with everything coming from all different areas. I'm just curious with obviously the pandemic, has that made it harder to get some of these other spices and materials from all over since you know, you are importing from a lot of different places? It hasn't. I mean, there's some things like we use a fresh raspberry as one of our toppings, that was out of stock for months at end. The flour was a challenge, the Italian imported Nutella. But overall, because I didn't have the shop actually fully open during COVID, it wasn't a huge impact. And now that the shop is open and supply chain isn't as, I mean, there are some things I just can't get, but because I have a very simple business model, It hasn't been an issue that I can't either replace with a different product and the core items I'm able to get. That's great. I can't wait to try one of of these cakes now that I've heard so much about them this morning. But I guess we'll finish with the one question we ask all of our podcast guests, which is, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about starting their own business or jumping in the water like you to start something they've never done before? I will tell you that it is not... Like, you have to deeply (laughs) believe in what your mission is and be very, very passionate. I'm doing something that essentially goes against conventional thinking in terms of I'm not rolling these out of a machine where you're making a million of them at a time. I only make one product that people get really confused about, but Dunkin' Donuts and Cinnabon, you know, seem to have created empires off of that concept. People will tell you no, but you need to deeply, deeply believe. That's the first thing. The other thing is I think people should treat people kind. And it's actually not a complex statement, but you treat others the way you want to be treated. I think sometimes that becomes overlooked. 
a lot of people ask, how did I get these relationships with these bigger brands? Because my product is a higher-end product, and in order to really build a solid following and a foundation on that concept, you really want to partner with other larger brands and higher-end brands. And a lot of it's just come from being, like, super kind and nice to people and treating people the way I want to be treated. And in return, they usually offer me their contacts or the people that I meet are more than willing to want to work with me. And I would actually say it's really based on the concept of treat people the way you want to be treated. So what you give is what you get. Um, It's opened a lot of doors. And then the last thing is you cannot create any business alone. And so you either need partners, you need advisors, you definitely need family, you definitely need like either family and friends, but you're going to need a very strong support system in order to really make this successful. And anything great has never been done alone. I think that's great advice and a great thing to end on. I think as women, sometimes we think if we just put our head down and work hard enough, we can do it alone, but that is very much not true. We all need support around us. So thank you so much for being on. Your story is amazing. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners, as well as me, will be reaching out to try one of these chimney cakes. Thank you very much for having me. It's always nice when we can share ideas. I'm a big believer in listening to other people's stories because nine times out of 10, we're all going through the same situation. And it's really just about persevering and just staying focused on the prize and what you're really looking to do. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Women's Wealth, The Middle Way. Make sure to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.